you have your Bibles, let's open them to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. If you're a guest, my name's Lloyd Shadrach. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Fellowship along with Rob Sweet. You know, we have two congregations uh, here and in Brentwood, and so we teach live at each one, and Rob and I will rotate back and forth along with a few others that will step in during the year. A few years ago, um, Newsweek published a lead article, and it was entitled, quote, Silicon Valley is trying to make humans immortal and finding some success. Uh, the writer was Betsy Isaacson. And I, I just want to read you the first paragraph. This is the first paragraph of a really long uh, article. Quote, Peter Thiel, the billionaire co-founder of PayPal, plans to live to be 120. Compared with some other tech billionaires, he doesn't seem that ambitious. Dmitry Itzkov, the father of the Russian internet, says his goal is to live 10,000 years. Now, to that end, uh, Sergey Brin is, might be a name some of you know. He's a co-founder of Google. Uh, he launched a company called Calico back in uh, 2013, just a billion dollars of loose change toward Calico. And uh, in Sergey's own words, he said the goal of the company is to cure death, end quote. Um, as of today... Uh, in my own research, I found that there are uh, 350 people that, that we know of today who have paid well over $100,000 to have their bodies frozen after death. And so you've got this special process you go through and you go in this liquid nitrogen and you're frozen. And the idea is absolutely logical and reasonable when you think about it. Whatever killed them, so they're dead, they're, they're gone and, and they're frozen. Whatever killed them, their anticipation is that these guys, people like this, will come up with a cure for what killed them, will resolve that problem. So, you know, 150 years from now, 200 years from now, they can be fought out we have the cure, they can be cured, and they can go on living. Um, I, did, I did see where one particular uh, institution, uh, you know, you don't anticipate this when you have this done. They had some power sh- outage or whatever, so we had some that melt. You know, it's like you got to look out for that. You know, you don't have any control. Not to be silly, but it, it happened. And I want to say this. These are brilliant people. Uh, lest we, we, we diminish their efforts, I, I'll tell you what, they have created billion-dollar organizations. They have made our life easier with their technology. And I have, I mean, this way, I have no doubt that their efforts will produce some things that will actually, honestly, be amazing, helpful, and, and even extend life. But Solomon in our text today, and, and quite frankly, our, we, 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 you know, we hold to the authority of this scripture. And from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible makes absolutely clear Death is not a disease. It's not a disease that can be cured. It is an inevitable reality for every human being. So the question really to be asking really is not so much, you know, how do we cure death? It's incurable. Maybe a better question to ask is how do we live our life in light of the grave, in light of death? If you're new to fellowship, uh, you know, we're not, we don't do this every weekend, <laughs> if you see this up here, but um, I will say this, we value, this will sound strange, but we value being uncomfortably real, and we're going to get uncomfortably real today, and, and we do this because the Bible 
is uncomfortably honest. And Solomon, you know, back in chapter 7, verse 2, he made this statement. He said, it's better to go to a house of mourning than to the house of feasting because that is the end of every man. The house of mourning, that is the end of every man. This You can't see in the back. It's a, it's a grave. It's the end of every man. And he says, and the living take it to heart. And so our uncomfortableness this morning is the fact that Solomon's taken us to the graveyard. Figuratively, metaphorically, and literally, we will go there today. The question for us, okay, in the somberness of the message is, will we take what he says to heart? <laughs> will we not just hear it with our head and our minds and our ears, but will we take it to heart and embrace it and be changed by it? Now, I'm going to move through the passage rather quickly because we're at this place in Ecclesiastes where Solomon is repeating himself. He's repeating himself and he's summarizing his conclusion. And we're getting ready to land the plane here, you know, in the next three or four weeks. And so it's not any new information he's going to touch on, and it's not that difficult to grasp. I'll move through it quickly because I want to spend a good part of our time, quite frankly, simply asking ourselves, how do I live in light of what this says? And I want to tell a few, uh, walk through a story or so with you to help us do that. We're going to do it in an outline form as far as the passage comes out. We're going to talk about one hand, uh, one fate and one life, okay? So if, you, if you're looking at the passage, you'll see me move through it in this way. There's one hand, uh, there's one fate, and, and you have one life. So this is how we'll do it. Follow along in your Bibles as I reread what Sharon read, and then we'll go a little farther. Chapter nine, verse one, Solomon begins, for I have taken all this to my heart and explain it that righteous men, wise men, and their deeds are in the hand of God. Man does not know whether it will be love or hatred. Anything awaits him. I think we all know that when the Bible speaks of the hand of God, it's speaking of uh, the power of God, that by which God rules and reigns over all his creation, is meticulously involved in his control of all things. Uh, The hand of God. And he says, all are in God's hand. Now, we know God doesn't have a hand physically like I'm, you're looking at mine today. God is spirit, but the Bible writers will speak in these anthropomorphic, uh, man-centered ways to say, you know what a hand does. You use your hand to protect, to keep, to hold, to guide, to control. And, and so does God does all those things with his hand. But the point is, God is in control. The, the theological term, okay, speaking of, is God's sovereignty. God is sovereign. He rules and reigns over all creation. All are in his hand. Now, here's the conundrum. God reigns. He's sovereign. But humanity doesn't know whether God's hand will bring love or hate. Now, some theologians take the love and hate as applying to man, but the context seems clear. Like, God is sovereign. God, you're sovereign. But I'm telling you, I look out over the world, and I don't know whether your sovereignty is going to bring love or hate. Kind of makes us a little uncomfortable. And you've got to think of it in this, these terms. Man doesn't know whether God, as, as, he, you know, as he is sovereignly and ruling creation, um, we don't know if it... If it's going to be favor or rejection, this is the idea. 
And Solomon, the reason he says this, okay, the reason he says man doesn't know is he looks at life. And he looks at the grave. And this goes to the next part. One hand, one fate. Look at two and three. Two and three, the one fate. We'll go all the way to six in a moment. We'll pick these up first. He looks around, he, he says, you know, I don't know what's, man doesn't know what's gonna come, whether it's gonna be God's favor or God's rejection. Let me prove it to you. It is the same for all. There is one fate for the righteous and for the wicked, for the good, for the clean, and for the unclean, for the man who offers the sacrifice and the one who doesn't. As the good man is, so is the sinner. As the swearer is, so is the one afraid to swear. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that there is one fate for all men. Furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. Afterwards, they go to the dead. Fate here means what fate means to us in English. It means the inevitability of something in the future. In other words, something's gonna happen in the future and you can't stop it. This is the fate. This is the inevitable end of all men, death. And do you notice how he gives us these two lists? And and he's just, I'm telling you, he's stretching our brain on this. He says, I looked out there and I said, look, there's there's a righteous man and there's a wicked man, okay? Now you can't get any farther apart than that, can you? So he's, he's gone to total extremes. There's the good, clean man and then there's the unclean man. He says, there's the one who offers sacrifice. This would be a religious sacrifice. And there's one who doesn't offer sacrifice, no religious sacrifice. He says, flat out, you know what? There's a good man and there's a sinner. And then he ends, he says, there's a swearer. The idea is there's one who makes an oath to God. See, that's the swear here is the good thing. There's makes an oath to God. And there's one over here that says, I'm not making any oaths to God. You could not make a list more further apart. And the idea being they are so different, surely God will treat these two differently, right? That's where he's going. And then what does he say? And the fate of all of them is what? Say it. Don't you just go, no, no, that's not right. You feel that? That can't be. Solomon goes on to call it evil. You look at verse three, the Hebrew word evil's in the emphatic position, meaning only that that phrase begins with the word evil. <laughs> the, the evil as in there's, there's evil and then there's all these other evils and nothing can touch this evil. That the good and, and the bad end up in the same place. They both die. Today's English version translated, this is as wrong as anything in the world and we all go yeah what is that he continues look at four to six he says for whoever is joined with all the living there is hope surely a live dog is better than a dead lion for the living know they will die but the dead do not know anything nor have they any longer a reward for the memories forgotten indeed their love their hate their zeal have already perished and they will no longer have a share in all that's done under the son, he says, you know what? It's better to be alive than dead, okay? Because if dead's the, the end, it's better to be in the story than at the end of the story and it's over. It's the point he's making. And uh, he, 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 he compares it with a, 
two things, again, he's two things that are so um, opposite of each other. There's the lion, okay, there's the lion who is in this day the noblest of beasts, even as we think of the lion as the king of the beasts, right? And then he says, and then there's the dog. And you gotta understand, it's not like, not like how I treat my dog, you know. It's not dogs as in pen. He says, a dog in this day was the least of the beast. A dog was a scavenger. A dog ate dead things. You know, dogs eat their own excrement. Dogs are nasty. Dogs are the scum of the earth. That's the kind of way they, you know, dog. What did the gent, what did the Jews call the Gentiles in the New Testament? I mean, this is bad, you know? So you got the noblest and, and, and the worst, and he, but, he, but he, he switches it and he goes, I'm gonna tell you, it'd be better to be a, a live, dirty dog than a dead lion. You get that? If, if, we put the, if we took animals in the same category, it'd be like the eagle and the buzzard. All of us would go, man, I, wanna be a, I don't wanna be a buzzard. But he said, but I'm gonna tell you something, it'd be better to be a live buzzard than a dead eagle. Why is the advantage to the living? Because quite frankly, if you look at it, it's just this. Because if you're alive, death is in front of you. You still have life. But when you die, it's all over. Your, your love, your hate, your passion is gone. You have no memory and no one remembers you. It's done. It's better to be alive. One hand, God is in control. But hey, I look at life and I can't tell if it's gonna be, I don't know if that's good news or bad news because everybody dies. One fate, death is inevitable. And then I want you to know Solomon, he's, he's gonna repeat himself. <coughs> he doesn't just throw up his hands and say, just give in to death. He actually throws up his hands and says, so go ahead and give in to life. This is the sixth carpe diem, seize the day passage in Ecclesiastes where it's seize the day, live. So one hand, one fate, now one life. Notice what he says, do with it, verse seven to 10. Well, go then. Eat your bread in happiness and drink your wine with a cheerful heart. For God has already approved your works. Let your clothes be white all the time and let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given you to understand, given you to given to you under the sun for this is your reward in life and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun whatever your hand finds to do do it with all your might for there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you are going Sheol uh, Sheol, for the Jew, the Hebrew, again, we stay in this time context. So as, as they're hearing this, as they're reading this, their understanding of Sheol is the place of death. Uh, Sheol, in their understanding, is not the same as we think of as hell, as eternal separation and suffering in part from God. They're not, this, they're not going hell. It's, their only view at this point is, is called Sheol. Remember progressive revelation, that the Bible came to them over time, it progressed and it got clearer and it got clearer and Jesus comes and the New Testament is written and the New Testament helps us unlock and understand everything that was written in the Old. But at this time, we're not there yet. We're only here. Their understanding of, y'all, their understanding of life after death was ambiguous at best. It, it just it wasn't clarified for them yet. Uh, 
Sheol is literally, it's literally nether world. It's the abyss. It's, you know, we, we don't need to say less or more than the Bible says about it. For them, it was the place of nothingness. It's a place, but it's like, it's nothing. As he says here, listen, when you're in Sheol, um, you're, you, uh, you, you don't plan, there's no activity, there, there's no knowledge, there's no wisdom. It's just a place of nothingness, the abyss, the wasteland of the dead. So before you get there, and everyone does, he pulls back and say, well, what should a woman do with her life if that's her end? And, and we do what Rob encouraged us to do last week and Solomon has throughout the book. He goes, so live your life right now. Uh, enjoy life as gift. It's not a gain. You don't earn it. Enjoy it as gift and enjoy the gifts God gives. And I love that Rob you know, as a teacher, he's so specific and pragmatic and sticky when he says things. You, you get it. And, he, and he, he went through. He said, if God has given you a bike, go ride it. If God has given you a steak, go eat it. If God has given you a kite, go fly it. If God has given you a dog, go walk it. And he said, if God has given you a cat. And I watched this online and was seriously offended. And uh, Rob and I don't do this. You know, Rob and I are not, I'm not going to stand up here and go, by the way, Rob, what Rob said last week wasn't quite right. Let me correct it. So I, we don't do that. But I feel compelled to address this point he jabbed at the cat life, okay, as one who used, used to hate cats. But now I have a cat. I love a cat. So I gotta, I'm going to say this. If God has given you a cat, let me show you what you do. This is, this is our cat, Ray, that uh, his head's toward the door. You, you, you get them right here, and you, when they start purring, they're going, oh, oh. You rub them on the forehead, and they go, oh. Okay, so that's for everyone who, uh, Rob said there were a few in this first service that were pretty offended with me, so that's for us. It's what you do with a cat. Now, interestingly, um, in chapter eight, he commended these things. He says, I commend you to do these things. We get here in chapter Nine, and I want you to know he's, uh, he's getting ready to land the plane on this whole thing and he's, he's not commending it anymore. You know, this would be a good idea. No, no, he commands it. He commands it. We haven't seen him do this where he gives us five imperatives. An imperative is a command. And, he, and, and it's, there's five. He says, go. It's like with exclamation mark. Eat, drink, enjoy, Do. I'm not suggesting it. I'm commanding it. And I think there are, you know, these are familiar, but he gives us, he gives us, I think, four categories, okay? Four categories in these commands. And I do think these categories are significant and they'll make, they, they, they speak to how we live our life now in a profound way. So let me give you the four, four categories wherein he says, you know, he commands to go eat, drink, enjoy, and do. The first would be this, verse seven, go eat your bread in happiness and drink your wine with a cheerful heart. Now, the the phrase I'm gonna give you is this, realize, he's just telling it, look, we need to realize every meal is more than a meal. Every meal is more than a meal. Um, I have said this to you before, you know, that uh, um, meals really matter. 
We're just not stuffing our face and uh, getting the you know carbs we need or the carbs you know limiting the carbs we need, etc. A meal is more than a meal. Le- uh, Susan, our middle daughter, our middle child, she's a uh, 19. She had three friends from uh, Texas in town this summer to visit her. We had a wonderful time with them. These are college kids. Um, and one night, Lisa said, okay, we're going to have a family dinner because our son Darden is out of college now working in Nashville. And, of course, we've got a senior in high school, Sally, and they're all just running around. So, you know, it's hard to wrangle them in. So we're going to have a dinner this night. So she made a wonderful meal. It was so fun. And, and as we gathered around the table, the five of the Shadrachs and then our three guests, you know, um, before we prayed, I said, I, I, I want to read something to you guys. And now I've read this to you guys, and of course my kids' eyes are rolling. Like, Dad, really? Just, just eat. You don't have to teach a lesson for, for the meal. But um, I've, I've read this to you, and, I, and it's worth repeating. It's Nowen's words on a meal when he said, we all need to eat and drink to stay alive. But having a meal is more than eating and drinking. It is celebrating the gifts of life we share. A meal together is one of the most intimate and sacred human events. Really. Around the table, we become vulnerable, filling one another's plates and cups and encouraging one another to eat and drink. Much more happens at a meal than satisfying hunger and quenching thirst. Around the table, we become family, friends, community, yes, a body. And I said to these kids, I said, you know, You may not get this, but I feel compelled to say it to you because you're old enough to understand. And one day you will sit around a table when you're older like me, and you'll realize, well, I've been doing this my whole life, but maybe there's something too sitting with my family and sharing food because there is. Our fellowship group, uh, small group, when we get together, we share a meal every time we're together. And if that's all we did, I'd be pleased. I'd be grateful because... Every meal is more than a meal. That's the first thing he says. Now, there's a second thing. This is in verse 8. He says, let your clothes be white all the time and let not oil be lacking on your head. Clothes be white. Uh, you know, they lived white with, had white clothes because the sun was so d- direct. You know, the white would reflect it off. And oil, of course, would soothe and moisturize the skin. And so when they were grieving, what would they put on? sackcloth and ashes, darker colors. He says, so let your clothes be white all the time. What's the idea here? And, and, and oil upon the head, the pouring of oil over Aaron's beard, the fullness and abundance. What's he saying? I think he's saying this. I'll put it in these words. When it's time to celebrate, don't hold back. I think he's saying, you know, you're going to die one day. It's all done. So when it's time to celebrate, don't hold back. I'm going to tell you, life is not one big celebration. Life celebrate, grieve, you know, life rises up and down. So it's not just happy-go-lucky, everything's great, but it's to say there's moments when you celebrate people. And, 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 and Solomon's saying, let your hair down, party like it's 1999. You need to just go there. I've had the privilege of officiating some of uh, your weddings and, and in particular maybe your, your children's weddings. And uh, I always tell my kids, because my kids go to these weddings with me sometimes, or their friends get married. And let me tell I always look at them and say, look, man, it's not, it wasn't like that when we got married, you know, because when Lisa and I got married, and I'm sure, you know, for many of us, what did we do? Well, we, we were married in the sanctuary. Uh, we walked to the fellowship hall, and we had a few almonds. I think there were a few cupcakes, you know, whatever. Look, there's no band. There's no, I'm not feeding everybody. I'm not paying for that, you know. We didn't have much, so you know what I'm saying? We just got married. But now, 
Oh my gosh, and some of you are doing this, you know. I've got two girls coming down the pipe. Uh, but I'll say this, I do love it when I'm not paying for it, that it's amazing because I have seen some of you do things you don't normally do. And it's not because of the alcohol. It's because you're celebrating. It's like, I don't care. We are going to party. We're going to celebrate this moment. You see that? And that's what Solomon's saying. He says, when it's time to celebrate, I'm telling you, we as those who follow Jesus ought to out-party Broadway, ought to out-party the predators when they're in the playoffs. I mean that. When it's time, and it's not always time, but when it is, oh my goodness, we should not hold back. Third, uh, I'm gonna phrase it this way, if married, this can apply if you're not married, but I think he's speaking of a marriage here. If married, see your spouse anew each day. Let your, he says, enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life. Why would I phrase that as if you're married, see your spouse anew? Because the word enjoy there means see. It means to look upon your spouse anew every day. And I think this makes sense to, uh, to those married. Um, you know, familiarity uh, can breed contempt or complacency. And the truth is that happens in our marriages. You know, when when uh, we were in Paris two years ago as a family, you know, I've never been there, but I'm gonna tell you, and you can feel this way when you go to any new city, you walk through the city like this. You know, you're just walking through the city, you're, bump, you know, you're bumping things, but you just can't do that. And how do Parisians walk through their city? You know, they're just on their way, just like we do here, where someone downtown Franklin's just looking around. Because you're, you're familiar, and, and our spouse, you know, can be so familiar that we forget to look and see this woman or this man changing before our eyes in amazing ways, in ways that don't need to be fixed or changed. It's called aging, and we, we, you, you, you love them, and you adore them, and you see them anew every day. You see them anew. Because one day you're going to be here and you won't see them anew like you do have a chance today. So, if married, see your spouse anew every day. It's realize every meal is more than a meal. When it's time to celebrate, don't hold back. Uh, if married, see your spouse anew every day. And then the last one, I, I looked at this, verse 10. Notice it's just like what your hand finds to do, do it. How? With all your might. Well, why? Because there's no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you're going because you're not going to get to do this anymore. I phrase this, whistle while you work. Whistle while you work. Now, you guys know what I'm referring to. Who can give me that right now? Who can give me the whistle while you work? It's, it's, you know, when... When Snow White was cleaning the, can you imagine what that cottage smelled like with the dwarves in there for who knows how long? They look like they're 150 years old, never been cleaned. So let's, let's clean up. And she starts singing in that high voice and the animals start cleaning, whatever. You know, they're working, but was it work to them? I mean, it was work, but was it work to them? No, they were whistling while they worked because work became, a, I almost said a gift because it is a gift. Can I remind us, work is not a part of the curse. Work. Work. Think about your job. I don't care what you do, where you are. Work. Well, you know what you get to do when you work? You, you get to help people. You get to solve problems. You get to create and make and serve 
And that is a gift. And when you're dead, there's no longer any planning or activity. Or you, you don't get to work, you see. This is convicting to me. Because, you know, you know, you guys can say this, but I can say it too. There, I don't like my job sometimes, okay? I don't like you sometimes. That, that's the truth. I don't like being a pastor. So everyone's got that in their work. It's convicting to me to remind me, though, that, that, that my, you know, I'm work, whatever your work is, that it's gift. And I can whistle while I work. Okay, look at verse 7. I skipped this line, and I know some of you may be thinking about it. Because it says that at the end of verse 7, for God has already approved your works. I want to be clear. He's not talking about salvation, justification. He's not, this, that's not even in the context of this. The context is, what, what do you do in life before you die and, in a very pragmatic, earthly, under-the-sun way? And so what he's saying there is God has already approved your works is, how best to describe this? It would be, um, you know, Rob and I have borrowed a phrase from this, uh, a Bible teacher named Dave Gibson who says, life is gift, not gain. Now just hold that for a moment. Life is gift, not gain. So, so what does it mean God has approved our, of your works? Well, God has given us these gifts. If you give someone a gift and they take the gift and they go, <laughs> can we go eat dinner now? How, what, what have you just done to the giver? You just offended the giver. But what if someone gives you a gift and you go, oh my gosh, this is, that's what I wanted. This is awesome. Let's do it right now. Let's play the game. Let's do that. You see, God has already approved your works, people. He's gifted you. Enjoy them and, and give him pleasure as you enjoy the gift he gave. Does this make sense? This is not justification. This is not like, oh, you did something evil. That's okay. God's already approved it. This is not what he's talking about. One hand, God's in control. Yes, he has the whole world in his hands. Uh, one fate. Uh, it, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're good or evil, you're gonna die, okay? Uh, one life. Life is a gift from God. Delight in it while you have it. Now, close your Bibles. Put your pens away. There's nothing you need to write down right now. There's everything you need to hear. And to hear in such a way that the Spirit convicts, shapes, changes, you hear in such a way that you believe, you act on. And we're going to talk about, so now what, how do we, how do we apply this text? Um, God had not revealed yet to Solomon, okay, if you're thinking of a timeline up here, he had not revealed to Solomon what's beyond the grave, okay? In Solomon's mind, the grave is the end. The grave is it. It's a place and you're there, but it's a place of nothingness. Um, one of my favorite singer-songwriters, you know, dating me, Dan Fogelberg, any Fogelberg fans around, uh, I got listen all, you know, I just, I still listen to it all the time. And one of his songs in the passage, he says, and in the passage from the cradle to the grave, we are born madly dancing, rushing headlong through the crashing of the days. We run on and on without a backward glance. We go on and on without a backward glance. Now, what you see up here, and you've been looking at it all services, you see a cradle and a grave. And I'm going to move us through the cradle to the grave. I'm going to do, do it two times. And I just want you to listen. I want you to watch. I want you to see. I want you to ponder. I want you to say, Spirit, what are you saying to me even as Lloyd goes through this? And I'm going to be very practical. I'm going to start over here. 
And uh, I'm going to talk about my life, okay? So this is Lloyd's life, not yours, but there are some applications, there are some principles that remain true for all of us. Uh, I was born in May 30th of 1960 at a Methodist Hospital in downtown Memphis. Anybody born where I was born? Any? Yeah, a few. Up, uh, up, uh, Penny, you're born. So that figures, Penny, you'd be born where I was born. So May 30th, 1960, I was born, and... Uh, in that moment, I'm going to use this, you know, normally I'd pull out a watch, but you know what? Not most of us don't wear watches anymore. What do we use to keep time? Our phone. So I'm going to say in my birth, I was given a certain amount of time, right? So I've got time that was, I don't know how much, et cetera. And of course, we spend most of our young years, this is a high flyover, uh, in uh, education, you know, so you you know, kindergarten, elementary school. I was talking to someone about this this morning. High school. I graduated from Northwest High School up in Clarksville. My dad was in the military. He graduated there. I didn't grow up there, but graduated there in 1978. Lloyd graduates from uh, high school, and then I go to the University of Tennessee over in Knoxville, and I graduate from the University of Tennessee in Knoxville in 1982. And so if you take those years, in a sense, I was given at birth time, but I was also given a personality and a temperament and some wiring and gifting. I think, you know, just that's just a fact. Some people are good at some things and they're not good at others. But I'll take my education and all those things, and and I'm just going to illustrate that with with a Leatherman. Because with a Leatherman, it's a tool, isn't it? It's a tool and it's something we use to do things, make, it's, it's a tool we use to work. Right, and so I've got an education now that I've got educated so I can work. I've got gifting and wiring that, that I now use to work. So uh, in, in, the, in the old, you know, in the kind of the Christian jargon, we would say I was given time with me, and then I was given what? The T word, talent. I'd say talent, so I've got time, and now I've got some talent. And uh, so I graduate from college, and, and you know what I do after graduating from college? I go to work. I go to work, and, and uh, I earn a paycheck. And I start paying my bills. Uh, Lisa and I got married. Um, uh, we, we have three kids, you know, a 23-year-old now, a 19-year-old, and a, a 17-year-old. Um, did I mention I go, I go to work, and I get a paycheck, and I pay my bills, okay? And then we, uh, we go on vacation, you know, when we can. Uh, we, we own a house, you know. We don't own it. The bank owns a good bit of it, but we own a house, and... I'm going to use these, these keys kind of as this indicator um, along with my billfold because now I, I, I recognize over time in life I've not only got time and talents, but I now have, what's this T word? I have treasure now. So, you know, because I do. I mean, my, our family has five cars. That's ridiculous, you know, keeping up with that stuff. We have a house and it's full of stuff. I mean, so I have treasure. So I'm just kind of living life. I don't, did I tell you that I, that I work? Like I go to work, I get paid twice a month now, and I pay my bills. And, um, and then uh, we have friends. I enjoy our friends. Uh, we try and do things with our friends. Um, kids are in college, so I work. I get a paycheck every two weeks, and I spend it to pay the bills, whatever. Okay, all this. So I'm just saying, so I'm just giving you this life, this life. And uh, one day, it's not today, or at least not this, I shouldn't say today, it's not right now, I'm still alive, um, I will die, okay? So that's what the grave's up here for you all, that I, I will die, and you will, and my time will be up, my, my talent and my treasure, when I die, 
uh, I, I, I don't get to keep it. It's over. That's, that's just what Solomon says. I'm done. I, I, I can't make more money. I can't do more things. It's, uh, there's no memory. People, people living life forget me. And for Solomon, there was, there's death, but there's nothing really on the other side per se for them. They hadn't gotten the clarity. Does, does this all make sense? So I would say from cradle to the grave, that's life, you guys. That is life. Now, I'm gonna retell my story, okay? I wanna retell it because something happened in my life that's the biggest thing in my life since I was born. So let me grab my stuff here and uh, let me go back through my story. Born in 1960, May 30th, I was born in Methodist Hospital in Memphis. I went to graduate from Northwest High School. I went to the University of Tennessee. Uh, somewhere right, th- uh, my senior year in high school, something happened. And, and what happened for me is that uh, um, I was reading a little pamphlet because my brother had become a Christian and he's sharing with me and I'm hearing about the gospel. What's the gospel? It's, it's the news about Jesus. And so I'm just a senior in high school. I'm 18 years old. I don't know up from down. Totally insecure. But I'm reading this little booklet and, and, and God, I don't know why. I don't know why then. All I can tell you is I know, I know that I read that little booklet and it talked about a God who created the heavens and the earth. And I went... There is a God, there's gotta be more. So there's a God and that's this, I'm separated from this God by my sin because I've, I've, I've rebelled, I've, I've sinned, I've done things wrong. I'm not holy as he is. So I can't be with God forever and with him. So, so then it told me that God sent his son, Jesus. And I go, well, I know Jesus is in the Bible somewhere. Well, it says Jesus is God's only son. He's fully God, fully man. And Jesus lived a perfect life. Well, to be with God, you have to be perfect. And I wasn't, but Jesus was. But then it says Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And then I don't, y'all, I'm telling you, I'd heard this before and it didn't make sense, but in this moment it did. And I went, okay, God loves me and wants me to be in a relationship with him. I was made for that. And, and he made it possible by sending his only son, Jesus, who died on the cross because Jesus took my sin upon himself and he died for me. I'm just, this is like, oh my goodness. He, so he died in my place. He was buried, meaning he was dead. He was raised again. He hadn't any, any sin of his own. And and oh my word, so it says here, all I need to do is trust that Jesus did what he did and he did it for me. And, and I remember praying and going, I was by myself, I said, God, I believe that. I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, was buried and rose again. And I believe he did it for me, God, and I wanna know you. <sighs> Nothing happened in that moment, but what I came to learn later was in that moment, I was, according to the Bible, born again. You see, all of us are born physically, okay? Born physically. But everyone's not born again spiritually until they put their trust in Christ. And Christ gives us a new heart. We're born again. We're clothed in his righteousness. Our sins are forgiven. And so you gotta understand, I'm 18. I don't understand all this. But, but I did believe, and over time, over time, I began to understand that the Bible is God's word. It's authoritative. He's revealed himself. He's spoken, and he invites me into this relationship with him, and it's more than that. He invites me to live my life with him and for him, and I'm telling you, my Christian life has gone up and down and up and down. We're talking 40 years, over 40 years. It's been rough. It's been awesome been terrible it's been terrific you know up for three steps forward 10 steps back 
all of that. But I'm standing in front of you today, a 58-year-old man, and I'll tell you this. So in my life, okay, when I came to faith and I began to grow in faith, I went, oh my gosh, this guy's teaching me and someone's telling me. And I come to realize that there's two things that last forever. Only two. People and the word of God. It's the only, only things that last forever. This doesn't last forever. This stage won't last forever. This building won't last forever. Your jewelry won't last. Do you see what I'm saying? People and the word of God. So in an awkward way, I began to live my life in light of that. So now this is where you get really uncomfortable. For example, you know, the Lunas usually sit over there. And so I wouldn't do this because they're over there. But now that they're sitting here, you have to participate in this message. So you guys get up. I'm going to ask you to get up and just stand on the stage. And this is so odd that my good friends Scott and Penny go to Brentwood. And today of all days, they would be here. So now you have to get up on stage, okay? So you get up on stage. Just stand up on stage. And then I want the whole fam, Dan and all the Hickling family to come up on stage. I want you to stand over here. Just, we're just going to make a little crowd over here. There you go. Just stand right there. You're good. You're good right there. So, so Lloyd, uh, you know, is born again. And Lloyd begins to live his life in such a way that I go, well, the only thing that lasts forever is people and the word of God. So, so I start going, well, I need to help people come to the word of God. That's what I want to do with my life because that's the only thing that lasts forever. And so, so I do. And some of you are going to say, well, of course, you, you know, that's what you do because you're in full-time missionary for a while. Now you're a pastor. <laughs> you know, that's not the right answer. I mean, that is what I, I do, but the Bible says it doesn't matter what you do vocationally. Y- you understand people and the word of God, the only thing that lasts forever. So wherever you are in your vocation, be it a homemaker, a painter, a dentist, an entrepreneur, a, I don't know what you do, but whatever you do, you're in that particular place because God put you there and he didn't put you there just to make a living. He put you there so that you would Help anyone around you because I'll never be there. I don't work where you work. I don't live where you live. I don't play where you play. But you do. And so you get the opportunity to help people, people come to the word of God, Jesus. Does this make sense? So this is for everybody. So don't just look at me and go, well, you're, you're, because you're a pastor, Lloyd, that's easy. No, I, this is my unique calling and you, everyone has a unique calling. So I live my life in this way so that I want Penny, you know, as a friend to know the word of God and, and grow in that faith. Okay? I, want, I want people I come in contact with to come in contact with the word of God. Does this make sense? Okay, so now imagine Lloyd lives his life and I'm not there yet, you know, but one day Lloyd dies. Now, when I die, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to really pay attention to this because it happens so fast. Let me show you what death is for the Christian, okay? Okay, and that was it. That's called death. Because in the twinkling of an eye, in a moment, I, when I die, my soul is separated from my body. My body is rotting in there, quite frankly, for now, but it'll be resurrected. I go from, you know, I, I, I go from that life, I go to this life. Because we know the Bible says, because Jesus rose again, we will too and live forever. So now I'm in that place and I'm face to face with Jesus. Does that, this make sense? So, so, so now, because I was born again, I do live forever. Yes, you're either going to live forever with God or apart from God, okay? So I'm talking about the with God part. 
So I, 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 with God now, I can't go back. I can't cross the grave and go back and, and go back to Jay and go, man, I wish I would have talked to Jay about Jesus because Jay doesn't know Jesus. You know, I, I wish I would have explained to him so he would know so that when he dies, he would be with I, I can't do it. So it's over. I'm done. My time is up, okay? But if during my lifetime, I had talked to Jay, or someone had, and he came to faith in Christ, and, and then, I know this is rough to watch even, Jay, Jay, step over the grave, you've died, just step over the grave. Jay is now, Jay's with me, and we're together forever. Does this make sense? And so, those who I'm, I've influenced in the faith, you see, they're, they're here, and talk about a tough one to handle and we've we face this and it may be that a child steps over before mom and dad this happens and so we want our kids to know christ so that those on that side know one day you'll be with us on this side is this making sense i'm telling you this is how we were made to live life now what did we say the four categories were on this side before you die? We said, hey man, you need to understand every meal is more than a meal. Man, when it's time to party, you need to party on this side. You, you need, we, need to, we need to whistle while we work, right? We need, we, we need to be whistle while we work. We need to see our, our spouse and you every day. And so on this side of the grave, we do all that. Absolutely, we do all that. But we do it with the understanding and intention that in all of that, God's given us these gifts so that we can help people come to the word. See, that's so, so, so the party still goes on this side, okay? Now, what are we gonna do over here in heaven for eternity? We're going to eat some meals that are way more than meals. We are going to party in unbelievable, we don't even understand the ways we're going to celebrate. Uh, We are going to be in relationships where there's no sin. And you understand, we are going to work, Jay. We're going to work, but there will be no weeds. And we get to create and make and solve and grow. You see, wait, Lloyd, you're saying we're going to do in heaven the same things we're doing on earth. No, I'm not. The Bible is. And therefore, this is all preview, if you will. This is all partial. This is the real thing in total fulfillment. Years, eternity. Man, does that change the way we live now? I think it does. For we all think that the grave is, you know, when we're born, we think the grave's a way long away. When we're middle age, we think the grave's coming. We're getting, when we get older, we go, well, I'm near the grave. The reality is the moment you and I are born we live on the edge of the grave because our time on this earth 70 years 80 years 900 how small is that 
And, and I say you live on the edge of the grave because you don't know. None of us know, do we, if this afternoon we're gone. This shouldn't scare us. Honestly, it should set us free. Because that grave can't hold us anymore. This is the celebration. This is the awesomeness. Now, I want everybody to stand. I'm going to invite the band out. Jay, don't ever sit on the front row again. Not near me. And Scott and Penny, go to Brentwood, where you belong. You guys can, y'all take a seat. You can step on that. There you go, honey. Um, Everybody stand and thank you guys. Uh, We're going to sing a song to conclude. And I've gone long, but this is, I believe, absolutely worth us responding in these words. We want to sing and celebrate the reality that in Christ, we're going to sing these words, death was arrested. It's because death is where we're all going. (laughs) It's not the end because of Christ. And so let's exalt Jesus and what he's done, his life, his death, his resurrection. He's the hero of the story. And so when we cross over, you know, we don't, we don't get to death and death grabs us and holds us. No, death was arrested. In other words, death was bound by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It cannot keep us. That's what it means. It can't keep us. Because Christ rose, we rise in, we're in Christ and he's already risen. That's the guarantee of our resurrection. So let us declare this in song. Let us sing it from our hearts. And let us remind each other in these words. Death cannot hold us, though we will all face the grave.